0: Here it is.
1: From deep inside your radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen from Southern California in mid-July, late July, mid-late July, July. How about our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia? What are they up to? Well, they'd like to be up to more beheading. If we'd get out of their way, you know, they are the great beheaders. Not I S, our freedom-loving friends, because you got you got to got a lop off the heads of the... Donald Trump and Theresa May, the British Prime Minister. For the moment, they're being urged to intervene in the case of a Saudi Arabian student who um, should be going to U- U.S. university. He was accepted, but instead will be matriculating and beheading for protesting against the Saudi Arabian government. Mujtaba al-Swaikat was going to start studying at Western Michigan University, but he was arrested in 2012 at a Saudi airport as he was about to fly to the U.S. at the time he was 17, same age as Janice Ian. He was part of a group of 14 young men arrested for attending pro-democracy protests in Saudi Arabia which just happens to have one of the worst human rights records in the world. It's executed 57 people so far this year, many by beheading. You, don't, you know, you have to be special to qualify for beheading. Otherwise, according to Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, the men confessed to crimes under torture and were put on death row after more than two and a half years of pretrial detention. Many have since retracted their confessions because they weren't being tortured enough. It's it's simple. The uh, U.K. charity Reprieve understands that one of the condemned men is half deaf and partially blind, so they'll probably just half kill him. Al Swikot was tried in June last year, sentenced to death by beheading. The verdict upheld in May of this year, according to the U.S. Teachers Union. Uh, The Teachers Union are killing us with the thing. He has been locked up for the past five years in the eastern city of Daman, damn but he was recently moved to the capital Riyadh, because that's where the executions are carried out Riyadh, come for the execution stay for the food the other methods of uh, execution in use by saudi arabia you might be interested include stoning and crucifixion they don't have to worry about the uh, you know getting the right drugs when you're doing stoning and crucifixion adultery is one of the capital crimes in Saudi Arabia, beheadings often take place in public squares because there's so little to watch on TV. Headless corpses are later put on display in the squares. The uh, U.S. President, <laughs> President Trump, was accused of shying away from the country's record on human rights when he visited Saudi Arabia a couple months ago, where he's believed to have signed an arms deal worth $110 million, although there are reports that That number is um, vastly overstated for dramatic effect. Really? You think? Saudi Arabian Kingdom, according to the Independent newspaper in London, is accused of having committed multiple international human rights violations. Well, if you're going to do one, you might as well get good at it, particularly over its role in the Yemeni civil war, in which thousands of men, women, and children have died, and there's now a cholera epidemic sweeping that country. You're welcome al swayqat was involved in waves of protest which engulfed Saudi Arabia in 2011 and 2012, beginning when a man set himself on fire. That'll teach him. And coming on the back of the Arab Spring, Saudi security forces swiftly cracked down on the protesters, killing several of the demonstrators and arresting many others. Forty-six of those arrested were executed in January of last year. You may recall... President Trump said when he went to Saudi Arabia, we are not here to lecture, we're not here to tell other people how to live, what to do, who to be, or how to worship. Instead, we're here to offer partnership based on shared interests and values, unquote. Values. You know, those things you get on the president's birthday sale at uh, the big box stores? This week, Theresa May, Prime Minister of Great Britain, was forced to deny that her government had suppressed a report into the kingdom's funding of Islamist extremism in Britain in order to protect the lucrative arms contracts. You heard about that suppression last week. Right here, as a matter of fact. May, Prime Minister May, claimed the report had been kept confidential, but on national security grounds. Oh, well. Oh, why didn't you say so in the... Hello, welcome to the show.
2: It's a lady. A hazy afternoon And I know a place that's quiet Except for daisies running riot And there's no one passing by it To see Comes When this lazy afternoon
1: From Santa Monica, home of the homeless, ladies and gentlemen, the Edge of America, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this mid-oh, I'm not even going to describe what part of the month this is, edition of the show, and now, for your listening pleasure, or otherwise... You know what can happen when you dump fracking waters into rivers, lakes, and streams? It could cause lasting environmental damage. Who, who would have thunk it? This is according to a recent study in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. And that's true, says the journal, even if you treat the water first. And it wasn't even sick. The study used lake sediment, you remember that lake, It's be- to reconstruct the history of produced water. That's the wastewater produced when you frack in a Pennsylvania watershed, and they also assessed, did the, the, the scientists doing the study, the long-term impacts of the resulting pollution. In an area where fracking waste was legally released into surface water ecosystems, they detected elevated levels of salt and, this may sound familiar, radioactive chemicals some distance away. When it comes to oil and gas Wastewater management The impact to water quality And sediment quality Can occur on a much larger scale Than we'd previously thought Says the lead author of the study Why do we Why do the humans always get it Maybe the bonobos Should do the planning from now on The study documents Said the lead of uh, scientist in the study That these contaminants Travel at least several tens of kilometers You figure it out And they're still buried there Five to ten years later over 100 billion gallons of fluid are injected into U.S. fracking wells every year. The fluid, its a complex mix of water, pesticides, fungicides, bactericides, and exfoliators like sand, Mm-mm. on a hot summer's day, doesn't that sound, is key to the hydraulic fracture extraction of oil and natural gas. Fossil fuel companies Inject the fluid into the ground under extremely high pressure. you
3: got to get it done now!
1: Using it to break open hidden reservoirs of oil and natural gas. After cracking open fissures, the fluid is pumped to the surface where it's called produced water. Anybody who wonders what producers do in show business, they produce water. The problem is produced water emerges from the ground dirtier than it entered. Some of the oil and natural gas that gets pumped from the well end up in the produced water on the way out. It stays there. Other contaminants find their way into the fluid, too. There are three things you can do with produced water. (laughs) Uh, No, not that. You can store it underground in injection wells. That appears to be the culprit behind the earthquakes that are now part of life in Oklahoma. You can clean it up somewhat on site and reuse it in another well. Or you can send it out to a third-party processor, you know, a discharge facility, not in your area, who will clean it up for you before releasing it into a surface surface water environment. Doesn't that sound like the best choice? The uh, wastewater effluents pulled from the discharge facilities were not just salty water, says the lead investigator. It's brine, which can kill off fish and plants that evolved to live in a freshwater ecosystem. Even animals that thrive in saltwater ecosystems have a threshold beyond which things are simply too salty. You know, like the Dead Sea creatures that don't live there anymore. Additional Research is needed to identify the long-term impact of fracking on aquatic systems. The evidence isn't looking great. In one study done in 2011, the Forest Service spread 75,000 gallons of produced water over a quarter acre of an experimental forest in West Virginia. Within two weeks, all the plants in the area were dead. What the frack? And now... News of the godly today from our friends in Germany. Germany! 547 pupils at one of Germany's most famous Roman Catholic choir schools, sing it boys, were physically or sexually abused between 1945 and 2015. That's according to an independent report reported on by Reuters. Some boys likened the institution to prison, hell, or a concentration camp. Well, how would they know they are in Germany? The 440-page report chronicles teachers at the school in Regensburg doling out physical violence, including slapping boys in the face so hard the marks could be seen the next day, whipping them with wooden sticks and violin bows, best used for the violin bow, I think, and subjecting them to severe beatings. Boys who tried to escape the Regensburger Domspatzen Choir were hauled back to the school and beaten and humiliated, humiliated in front of the other boys, according to the report. Allegations of the abuse at the institution, which traces its history back a thousand years and tours the world to perform choral music. Get your tickets now. The allegations surfaced seven years ago after criticism of the ensuing investigation of the diocese, which acknowledged this week it had made mistakes, commissioned a lawyer to put together the independent report. Georg Ratzinger Brother of the former Pope Benedict, led the choir for 30 years. He acknowledged seven years ago he had slapped pupils in the face, but said he hadn't realized how brutal the discipline is. He's now 93. You know, a good slapping, right? Uh, the investigator, Ulrich Weber, said Ratzinger was to be blamed especially for turning a blind eye. And that was his good one. And not intervening, despite having knowledge, adding the investigation did not show he was aware of sexual abuse. Several testimonies said he was generally friendly. Ratzinger was not available for comment. Weber, the investigator, said the system was focused on achieving musical excellence and choral success. And to that end, a high degree of discipline was commonplace, providing a basis for violence. He said 547 former pupils had probably been victims of physical and or sexual violence. Of those, 67 suffered sexual abuse, blamed 49 individuals, 45 of whom were physically violent, nine of whom were believed to have committed sexual violence. Many of the victims, said Weber, the investigator, called the time there as the worst of their lives, which was marked by violence, fear and helplessness. Allegations of sexual and physical abuse at Catholic schools in Germany, particularly in the former Pope's native Bavaria, have shaken the church. Choir school victims, many of whom implored their parents to let them come home, said they were still traumatized. Proof they were singing flat. These are not 547 cases where an individual was affected once. Rather, an ongoing practice over decades where 547 children were tormented, abused, mistreated, and socially harmed, said a former choir boy and abuse victim. I thought I had gotten over it after a seven-year battle, he said, but in fact this uh, greatly upset me today. The Diocese of Regensburg acknowledged his past mistakes. That's why they put erasers on pencils and said it wanted to find out what happened and deal with it. We see today we could have done things better and sooner, said Michael Fuchs. Didn't he used to run HBO? Different one. He's the vicar general of the Regensburg Diocese. Or maybe he's the same one. Does those HBO gro- jobs don't grow on trees. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, would you let me read the trades for you? Yes, you do have a choice. There's a knob or a lever, or a switch, or something. But please, won't you? From Ad Age, the Bible of the advertising agency, first of all, Facebook turns ad sound on by default. I'll read it for you. Facebook is making waves with autoplay videos on its mobile app that start running with the volume already turned up. Yes, you can send A thank you letter to Mark Zuckerberg now. Some users have begun seeing messages describing the shift away from autoplay video that started on mute as convenient. Quote, now it's easier to enjoy video. We're always working to make Facebook a better place to watch videos. That's why videos now play with sound on automatically. Unquote. Someone posted a screenshot of the message to Reddit with a little editorializing. Now with unwanted sound by default. I'm willing to bet that in a future update, you won't be able to mute ads, another Reddit user responded. The the message seems to confirm that Facebook is making good on its announcement February that the silent age of video on its platform would end. After months of testing, Facebook clearly has an interest in moving beyond the silent age of video in its app. If, even if the new sound sound on environment annoys some users, Facebook has eased its users into new unwelcome ad styles before. Just last week, Facebook introduced ads to Messenger, promising to commercialize an area that had been free of marketing messages. The anti-ad backlash was smaller than when it introduced ads into Instagram, or when it first launched sound off autoplay video in 2013. Boiling frogs. I would say. Facebook has fabulous testing methodologies, said the COO at a social media agency, McBeard. It's not going to turn anything on that the majority of the user base hates, he says. Autoplay video in general has become widespread since Facebook made it a central part of its ad offering. Now many websites include video that starts the second a consumer arrives. You've noticed that, haven't you? And you've been delighted... It's more tolerated than beloved by consumers, according to the Coalition for Better Ads, an industry group. Video that automatically plays with the sound on is one of the least liked formats there is, according to the group. This ad experience is especially disruptive because it catches the reader off guard and often compels them to quickly close the window or tab in order to stop the sound, especially if they're on their mobile device or in a public place, where such noise can be a public nuisance and personal embarrassments according to the Better Ads group. What about if you have a lot of tabs open and you then have to spend the next five minutes searching for the one that is on autoplay? How about that one? That's good, too. Facebook declined to comment on how widely autoplay with sound has penetrated its audience so far. That's AdAge's usage. Penetrated its audience. Why is Facebook so interested in delivering sound? It's one of the few areas where its competitor, Snapchat, As a lead, Snapchat started pushing advertisers in that direction and stories need to be told in a unique way, said the vice president of emerging media at Possible. Quote, sound can make all the difference. As video consumption grows, the bar goes higher for what's worth people's time, he says, the guy at Possible. Snapchat says its ads run 70% of the time with the volume on. The company is critical of mute video, deriding it as moving banner ads. Facebook was previously enthusiastic about silent video, teaching uh, brands to create for a news feed where videos scroll by on mute and providing tools for automatic captions. But advertisers, particularly movie studios, want their ads to come with sound. So it's perhaps just a matter of time before its news feed started giving brands this piece of their creativity back. Consumers might get irritated, said the senior director of product marketing at Bright Cove, a digital video tech company. But he continues, video is the preferred piece of content for advertisers, and they want to do as much as they can to get that user's attention, unquote. Hijacking our attention for your viewing pleasure. And also from Mad Age, if you notice more split screens and fewer commercial breaks on National Football League broadcasts this coming season... Credit the, f- credit the fans who served as football's lab rats. Last fall, as TV ratings were in a sp- tailspin, the NFL invited fans into a lab designed like a living room. Technicians asked them to watch games, tracking their eyes, heart rates, and skin response. They saw different ad formats, including spits, split screens with commercials on one side and the field on the other. The tests, the most, expense, most extensive ever by the league are contributing to big changes in how games will be broadcast when the regular season starts in September. The goal is to keep viewers engaged and protect the $3.5 billion in annual TV advertising taken in by NBC, CBS, Fox, ESPN, and the NFL Network. NFL TV viewership fell about 8% last year. Measuring fans' physical responses to commercials dubbed biometrics has been around for years and has its skeptics. The idea is not to understand just what viewers say in focus groups, but how TV shows or ads make them feel. One big change is a cut in the number of commercial breaks to four per quarter from five. They'll be longer, so networks can still sell the same number of commercials in case you were worried. The league is also tweaking how games are run to speed them up. Referees are going to use a handheld tablet to review plays, to make decisions faster. Overtime will be cut to 10 minutes from 15. The league has relaxed its rules on touchdown celebrations, allowing for more creativity. Games should be slightly shorter. A simulated living room where the NFL Learns how you really feel. A wonderland we discover when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
0: breeze makes me feel fine blowing through the jasmine in my mind Oh oh, oh. Summer, summer breeze makes me feel fine blowing through the jasmine in my mind Sweet days of summer the jasmine smile waiting in the kitchen food is cooking and the plates for two i feel your arms reaching out to hold me in the evening when the day is through The Jasmine's July is dressed up and playing
1: From Santa Monica, where it's always kind of summer and never really is, I'm Harry Shearer. This is La show, and now.
4: Of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersall Jr.
1: Well, you know who we haven't heard from about the Olympics? The former mayor of London, Boris Johnson, Bojo. He's in Tokyo giving advice to the people who are going to be putting on the next Summer Olympics. He advises the governor of Tokyo to shrug off criticisms during the preparation period, saying everything will work out in the end. He, he congratulated, congratulated Tokyo Governor Yuriko Koike, who came to power a year ago on the city's preparations, he said she should take the next three years in stride saying there's cycles in how the public and media respond. First of all, there's a euphoria when you get the games, and then there's a bit of an anxiety starts to creep in, and it sort of goes downhill, and people have all sorts of stories. We had all sorts of problems, he told Koiki at the start of a meeting. Then when finally the games begin, after it seemed as if you could do nothing right, then you could do nothing wrong, and everybody gets behind you, unquote Boris Johnson. In a Dick Van Dyke accent, for some reason. What are they using the Olympic uh, stadium for in London now? Something. The International Olympic Committee has praised Tokyo's preparations to date, but the city has faced a rough road since being awarded the Games four years ago. That included the resignation of Koike's two predecessors due to scandals. You know, like you get. The original game's logo was withdrawn following plagiarism charges. The first plans for the centerpiece national stadium were scrapped due to ballooning costs. Well, just get rid of the ballooning. Putting the start of the stadium's construction about a year behind schedule. On Thursday, parents said that, uh, officials said that parents of a 23-year-old stadium worker who committed suicide have petitioned the Japanese government to recognize it as Karoshi. That translates to death by overwork. Media reports say he worked more than 200 hours of overtime in the month before his death due to tight deadlines created by the delays. But we'll forget that when we see the fireworks, won't we? The Olympics, it's a movement. Boris Johnson knows it, and we all need one. He needs one every day. Now, news of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Sky TV has had another advertisement for its broadband service banned by British Advertising Standards Authority following a complaint from rival Virgin Media. Sky is 39% owned by Nice Corp right now. They want to own all of it so they can do more of this. Virgin Media. Claimed a uh, challenge to claim in the ad that Sky broadband was super reliable. The uh, standards authority drew on official data to uphold the complaint, concluding the ad could mislead consumers because it implied that all of Sky's broadband packages were super reliable. That is not the case for Sky's ADSL 2 Plus package, the regulator said. Similar Sky ad featuring Lego Batman was banned for misleadingly claiming to offer Britain's lowest price fiber service. Broadband fire service. And Australia media baron Rupert Murdoch's son, James, is a breath of fresh air. Where? Where could he be a breath of fresh air? Tesla. He's one of the two new independent board directors at the electric car company. He replaces the cousin of Elon Musk, who uh, started up Solar City, the uh, solar panel installation company that Tesla recently merged with. This expands the number of directors on the board to nine. Murdoch is CEO of 21st Century Fox, formerly News Corp, formerly Nice Corp. He'll be uh, getting an option to purchase 16,000 shares of Tesla stock. Shareholders reportedly pushed Tesla to recruit more independent directors to its board. He's independent of everybody but his father, I guess, and his brother. Nice corp, nice people, doing nice things. And that brings us, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the week... In, in Trump land, where where do you begin with a week like this? This was pretty spectacular. No matter no matter how you slice it. Let's see, uh, Don Trump Jr. and uh, Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort have been requested to testify before a uh, congressional committee late in the week. At least Manafort and Trump Jr. made a deal not to have to testify in public, but to have a meeting with committee staff, provide documents, and make arrangements to testify, perhaps in private, with the committee uh, retaining the option of kind of convincing them to testify in public later on. People magazine reports that Don Jr. is miserable. With the pardon me with the whole uh, White House connection can't wait for the four years to be over people of course, an expert on miserable celebrities Don Jr. went on guess whose show Hannity on Fox News to defend his uh, falling for an, I mean deciding to uh, pursue a lead in an email sent to him by music publicist and former British tabloid reporter Rob Goldstone, because you can't get more reliable emailer than that. We learned this week that the, uh, one, of the, one of the congressional committees investigating all this has also subpoenaed Glenn Simpson, who is the head of a group called Fusion GPS. They are the company... Comprised of former journalists who have been deeply involved in opposition research for politicians and for foreign governments, lobbying for foreign governments, uh, not lobbying, but planting news stories, what appear to be news stories on behalf of foreign governments. It was Fusion GPS which commissioned the dossier by former British intelligence agent James Steele with all the saucy pseudo details about Trump in Moscow. Simpson has uh, so far refused to uh, testify before the committee. Not OJ. He's good. He's free. Back uh, in the land of <laughs> President Trump, the uh, health care bill died another death this week. And uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says there'll be another attempt to get something cobbled together in a vote this week. President Trump had invited all the Republicans in the Senate to the White House at the beginning of the week for steak and succotash. How can you not find agreement over steak and succotash, ladies and gentlemen? I ask you. The president, who confuses people by continuing to rail against the mainstream media, the fake news, once again gave an interview to his favorite news medium, the New York Times. If, if people haven't gotten it by now, the game that he's been playing since um, his days of tantalizing the New York tabloids with BS stories phoned in by him pretending to be his own press agent, the most famous of which was, um, I think it was Marla, says, best sex I've ever had then they never will. And then he turns around and, you know, critiques them, knocks them for printing the stuff that he planted with them. That's his... Anyway, he gave an interview to the New York Times, three of their reporters, in which he seemed... Well, he didn't seem to. He actually did criticize Attorney General Jeff Sessions for recusing himself back in March from the uh, ongoing Russia investigation. If he'd known it, that Sessions was going to do that, said Trump, I wouldn't have appointed him. No comment from Sessions, except he's not planning to resign. Unlike Sean Spicer, the uh, White House press secretary, who on Friday came into a meeting with the president Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon. Priebus, Bannon and Spicer had all, according to every report I've seen, vociferously objected. To the president's plan to appoint Anthony Scaramucci, a Wall Street investment manager, as the new head of the communications office of the White House, which the president did at 10 o'clock Friday morning, after which Sean Spicer tendered his resignation. Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be the new press secretary, and Anthony Scaramucci widely described as smooth talking will be taking over the head ship of the communications office a lot of stuff to digest somebody's got to boil it down
3: this week for the first time, a new team member imperils the unity of the team, and for the businessman turned chief executive, the family business has turned very personal, almost like family.
4: Don Jr. You know, I never wanted to be mixed up in all this. I just wanted to run the
3: businesses and kill elephants. I know, and you're good at it too. I've oh. seen the tail. The elephants the businesses, the pieces of tail you've been hiring. Mm. But now you're you're at a turning point. I know. Eric won't answer my calls. I feel like a pariah. Hmm. They used to run India. They were good. But now, you've got a challenging little task
1: this week. I know. The Senate Judiciary Committee. We got them to make a deal. Really? What's the deal? They won't subpoena me yet. We're sitting down to talk about turning over records and Setting the date for a private interview. That's a deal? That sounds
3: like you did everything but handcuff yourself to Chuck Grassley's butt cheeks. Too harsh? A little. I mean... Look, here's the deal. They've given up the subpoena thing, right? So far. So now you just stretch this out. You've got what they want, right? I guess. Hey, Junior. This isn't your first subpoena.
1: Oh. Eric's been subpoenaed a lot more.
3: Because they trust him more. Believe me. Now look, you remember Uncle Roy? Oh, sure.
1: He smelled like a cologne factor.
3: He gave me a
1: task. You know what it was? Use more cologne?
3: Never give an inch. Mm. Make them fight for every scrap. That's your task with this stupid committee.
4: Well, what do I do if Manafort gives in to the committee's demands before I can make
1: a deal?
3: Roy Cohn used to control the bus company in New York. You know what he told me? don't wear cologne on a bus? There are always more buses. Mm. You think you can throw Manafort under one? I guess so. I'd rather be shooting something. Look, just visualize something in your mind. What? Cutting off Manafort's tail. Mitch, what are you doing wrong?
4: Well, I think I've explained to you that the Republican Party in the Senate is about three parties. And it's a major accomplishment just to get them to agree on uh, when to meet for lunch. Okay, that's interesting. You think it's hard to pass a health care bill. I think it
3: should be easy. I'm president. You're majority leader in the thing.
4: What am I missing? I'm not making any excuses, but we thought your folks had worked out the the policy side of this before or, or during the campaign.
3: And we thought you guys, running on repeal and replace for seven years, had some kind of a plan. So here's your task for this week. Put something to a vote and get it freaking passed. Can you do that?
4: I can, as long as there's something as a resolution to support National Adopt-A-Puppy Week. You know, a lot of my team don't feel we've had enough support from... Your team on healthcare. Listen,
3: I tweet. I go on TV. Mm -hmm. I think you've had plenty of support. I had the whole team in for succotash and steak. You know how much I hate succotash?
4: Well, everybody hates succotash. So
3: put that in your bill.
4: Mitch, this is a big one. Can you get a vote on it this week? As I've explained to you, Senate rules mean that a couple of people can stop something from even coming up for discussion. You
3: know who doesn't care about the rules, Mitch? Well, no, but... Winners. You know why? Because winners make the rules. Mitch, your task is to be a winner on health care.
4: Make me tired of winning this week, okay? <laughs> we'll certainly give it another try. Try. You know who doesn't try, Mitch? Winners? Jeff Sessions. I haven't even been called to the boardroom this week. Now that sends a message and then all of a sudden they've uh, they've started blue penciling my grits budget
1: right yes sir sean working on a new format for the press conferences where i ask the reporters questions great and they great i'm adding a new member to the team say hello to mooch hey guys i'm gonna love working with you i love this man right here i know we all do how you doing Oh, welcome to the team, Mooch.
3: They, they, they call him Mooch because, uh, what, because you never borrow money? <laughs> because I don't want to go to the trouble of pronouncing Scaraboochie. I love you, Don. Yeah. Maybe they're afraid they'll screw up and say Scary Moochie. Sir? Hold it, i
1: waiting for the laugh. Okay, go, Sean. I think Rance and I made our feelings about how this affects our team perfectly plain in our earlier
3: meeting. That's great, Sean. But your task this week is to... Share
1: those feelings with Mooch. Love to hear what's on your mind, guys. Hope you love this guy as much as I do, and I'm sure you do, because how does anybody not love him? Reince? I'm good. Sean? Uh Oh, I'm good, too. And I'm looking forward to having Mooch's very different skill set be part of this administration's toolbox, even though it's not the skill set usually associated with the job. You know, last time I checked with the boss, we're not doing usual, right? (laughs) Usual is writing
3: your next book in Chappaquiddick. Okay. Chappaqua. Well, Chappa somewhere. So
1: Sean, you happy with the toolbox? I'm loving this guy's way with words. I'll tell you that. Thanks. I think I think I have a confession to make. I I think I'm tired of winning.
3: Psst. New team, new tasks. Same mission. We're gonna make winning great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. Via Presidentis. Again this week. Even bigger than
1: OJ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, same. The atom is um, on a a, uh, Tinder date with an anti-atom this week, so we'll we'll look for an explosion. Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power has decided to temporarily suspend construction of Units 5 and 6 at a nuclear power plant in southeastern Korea. The move comes two weeks after South Korean President Moon Jae-in issued an administrative order to halt construction of the reactors. He last month outlined his intended nuclear energy phase-out. Policy. He said plans for new power reactors will be canceled and the operating periods of existing units will not be extended beyond their design life. <laughs> their design life would be like when. Yeah, I know. But we do that. All the local residents and environmental groups have condemned a plan to release radioactive tritium from the crippled Fouke plant into the Pacific Ocean. Officials of TEPCO said tritium poses little risk to human health and is quickly diluted by the ocean, so let's dump tons of it there. In an interview with local media, the chairman of TEPCO said the decision has already been made, but they're waiting for approval from the Japanese government. The tritium is building up in water that has been used to cool three reactors that suffered meltdowns. Around 770,000 tons of highly radioactive water is being stored in tanks at the site. Many of the contaminants can be filtered out, but the technology does not presently exist to remove tritium from water. Fishermen who operate in waters off the coast of the plant say any release of radioactive material will devastate an industry that is still struggling to recover from the initial disaster. Releasing tritium into the sea will create a new wave of unfounded rumors, making all of our efforts for naught, said said the head of a local fishing cooperative. TEPCO may have found the nuclear fuel debris below the damaged number 3 reactor. They detected black-colored material that dangled like icicles that could be nuclear debris near the bottom of the re- reactor's pressure vessel that contained the fuel rods, according to a report from Kyoto News, citing unnamed sources. Finding the highly radioactive melted fuel rods might pave the way for TEPCO to develop methods to remove the melted fuel. TEPCO launched its first attempt to probe the inside of the number three reactor using a submersible robot on Wednesday called a little sunfish. Although it's um, about the size of a loaf of bread, but a little loaf of bread isn't cute enough. The company in January spotted possible nuclear fuel debris below the damaged number two reactor, so that's two out of three. Where'd that fuel go? Down. Okay you you have a tunnel in which are rail cars with uh, some waste, some radioactive waste, and the first tunnel has collapsed, and now the second one is in danger. What do you do? Well, the Department of Energy has exactly that problem at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State. They've come up with a range of options to protect the public and environment from the threat of collapse of the next Hanford Waste Tunnel. DOE discussed the options at a public meeting that's triggered by the partial collapse of the storage tunnel in uh, May. The state of Washington ordered DOE to assess the structural integrity of the second larger waste storage tunnel built a few years later. It holds 28 rail cars holding radioactive wastes. Tunnel number 2 was built with materials that included corrugated sheets of steel, concrete girders, and steel I-beams, rather than the timbers that were used in the first tunnel, which partially collapsed. But it is still at serious risk of collapse. Factors being weighed for different options include cost. Yeah. The level of protection offered and whether the proposed fix would interfere with eventual permanent cleanup of the tunnel. DOE is also considering how long options would take to complete as the threat of a collapse looms. No option has yet been picked. Least expensive would be pull a heavy sheet of plastic over the length of the tunnel. That was done at number one, mostly to keep rain from seeping into the eight feet of soil piled on its roof and adding to the weight on its timbers, but the plastic might only last for a matter of months. Different styles of tent covers are being considered. They'd be low cost. They would spread. They would control the spread of contamination and tunnel collapse. They wouldn't contain it to the tunnel. A pre-engineered steel building could be built over the tunnel, but it has the potential to trigger a collapse of the tunnel during construction. Two options to fill the tunnel are being considered. Filling it with expanding foam would help stabilize the tunnel and provide contamination control, but the method is considered at other projects not used because the foam (laughs) presents a fire hazard. The tunnel could also be filled with a concrete-like grout. The state supports that plan that the tunnel is already partially collapsed. DOE said it could later saw out the grout and the waste in pieces for permanent disposal at the you know, place that they don't have to for permanent disposal. Sawing through rail cars would be difficult, said some of the people at the public meeting, and there could be a risk of contamination to workers cutting out heavily contaminated equipment. If you have any ideas, keep them to yourself, won't you? Clean, cheap, safe, too safe to meter, our friend the atom. And now, quickly, the apologies of the week.
0: So sorry.
1: The owner of a Brooklyn restaurant who infuriated neighbors by hyping the eatery's bullet holes and its supposed shady past as an illegal gun joint apologized this week for reinforcing racial stereotypes. Becca Brennan, whose Crown Heights eatery Summerhill was branded as racist and colonialist in flyers posted across the community said, I'm sorry. I realize my comments came across as insensitive and were insensitive. I apologize for any pain caused to my very appreciative local customers and friends, some that I consider family. When Ash was thinking what she was thinking when she touted bullet hole ridden walls at the spot in an email blast, she said, I obviously wasn't thinking. Used to be uh, a crime ridden neighborhood, you see. Kevin Smith has apologized for sharing an old remark Ben Affleck made about filming a same sex kiss during the movie Chasing Amy. Smith recalled Affleck saying kissing another man is an actor's greatest challenge and made him a serious actor. Many were offended by the alleged comments, including Evan Rachel Wood, who sent a series of tweets slamming Affleck. Try getting raped in a scene. Also, grow up, Ben. In an 11-minute Facebook video, Smith apologized for rehashing the story and said the comment was said in private. He also attributed the nature of the conversation to age. At the time, Affleck was 23, and Smith, who directed the film, was 26. 26. Maine Representative Scott Heyman, Democrat, apologized before the Maine legislature about the social media comments about Donald Trump that garnered criticism from across the nation. He told his colleagues his comments were meant in a satirical tone, and he didn't literally mean what he said. The uh, Facebook post said Trump is a half-term president, and most especially if I ever get within 10 feet of that vulgar term. I sounded like a jerk. That was my point. It was satire, he said. gotten death threats since he removed the comments from Facebook. He apologized to all he offended and says he'll be happy to talk to anyone who has more questions about his content. The five-year-old girl was fined £150 by a, a local council in London for selling cups of lemonade to festival-goers. The girl's father said his daughter had set up the stall in East London while thousands of music fans were on their way to the Love Box Festival at the weekend. Said his daughter burst into tears and told him, I've done a bad thing. Tower Hamlet's Council has since canceled the fine and apologized. Not for the uh, cladding. Oh, I don't know if they have the cladding. German luxury automotive brand Audi apologized this week for airing a sexist commercial in China in which a bride is inspected as if she were a used car. A GOP official who shared a story on Twitter calling for the death of Senator John McCain after he underwent surgery for a blood clot apologized. Diana Oreck, a committee woman for the Republican National Committee in Nevada, tweeted an article about McCain titled, Please just effing die already, with the caption, Amen. She apologized for the now t- deleted tweet or did tweet elite saying it was disrespectful and calling McCain an American hero. A dermatologist in Memphis, Tennessee, has apologized for calling one of his patients a black woman. Aunt Jemima. Lexi Reed Carter says she hasn't slept since. The doctor said, Miss Carter is one of our very dear patients. and She has been for years. She's one of many African-American patients, and I count it a privilege to be their doctor. Anything I said that tarnishes that image, and my respect for her was a misspoken blunder on my part. I'm very sorry for that misunderstanding as Carter tends to file a protest with the state medical board, and President Trump's new communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, apologized for his 2015 comments, calling Trump a hack politician, turning to the cameras and addressing the president, saying, if you're listening, I personally apologize for the 50th time, unquote, showing that Scaramucci may or may not be aware that President Trump watches all the televised press conferences. Because, like, what else does he have to do? The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And just a note in News of the Warm. Pay poor people not to do stuff that we don't want them to do to help the environment. A new study finds that simply paying landowners in the developing world to not cut down trees can significantly reduce carbon in the atmosphere. It can be a very cost-effective way to help meet goals such as the Paris Accord, Targets. The study, published in the journal Science, found that in Uganda, offering small financial incentives to landowners cut deforestation in half. Pay pay the poor to do what we want. What a novel idea. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, NPR Worldwide, throughout Europe. You send 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and on the east coast of North America, via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on the mighty Soho Radio in London, around the world, via the Internet at two different locations, live and archive, whenever you want it, harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Please turn it off when you are in the theater. And available as a free podcast at Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and www.no.org. And if we just like, Don Jr. being able to go back and shoot elephants. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halston and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast, playlist of the music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshear.com. And me, I'm on Twitter. Yes, I am at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans. Flagship station, the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.